survivors and welcome to Health Drink, a Silent Hill podcast by Resident Evil fans for Resident Evil fans. This is First Aid Spray bonus episode 10 and we promised to return to that town and so here we are to discuss the stone cold classic Silent Hill 2. My name is Cyniac, you can just call me Cy and joining me on the panel this week, waiting to see what kind of goofy intros I've got in store, for him it's always like this. It's Fire Button Steve Vannons. In my restless dreams, I see that podcast, First Aid Spray. Coming back inexplicably from an off-screen death from Steamforge Games, it's Sherwin Matthews. Hello, crew. The subject of this bonus episode, like all others, was voted on by our Patreon backers. Support the show now to not only keep us afloat, but to also create new content. Select what that content is and hear it a month before everyone else. Tiers begin at just $1 a month. Check out patreon.com forward slash Pod for the full breakdown. So, Silent Hill is the subject at hand yet again. The third time we'll be covering the series. It isn't really all that surprising, I think, that it's the series that has got to that point before anything else other than Resident Evil, funnily enough, because uh, it's the series that I guess is most closely affiliated with Resident Evil, the two giants of survival horror. So, yes, we are here to talk about Silent Hill 2. Uh, this time we are once again reconnecting with our old friend uh, Rod Herald with a little piece of music. His cover of Theme of Laura Reprise is in this episode, so shout out to him. His YouTube channel is in the description. Check it out. He covers... Plenty of stuff, not just Silent Hill, Resident Evil music, and all kinds of video game stuff in general. Uh, yeah, there's always something cool to find on his channel. Uh, Silent Hill 2 won our poll on sequels, essentially, is how we got to this point. We took three series that we'd looked at before uh, and put the next game in the series up against it. So no Dino Crisis 3 this time, <laughs> though people did try. Uh, we have appropriately arrived at Silent Hill 2, which began work immediately after the release of the original to cash in on the whirlwind success that the original had earned, as well as to creatively build upon the team's work. The budget was larger, the team was larger, and all comments on the original game were taken into consideration. Since the original team now had a good understanding of the setting, more time was spent on the plot for Silent Hill 2. Silent Hill 2 was first released for the PlayStation 2 in North America on September 24th, 2001, in Japan on September 27th, and in Europe on November 23rd, and would later be ported to Xbox and PC, and then from there, I suppose, there's the HD collection, which is on PS3, uh, Xbox 360, I assume PC as well. Uh, upon release, IGN gave the PlayStation 2 version a 9 out of 10, Eurogamer gave it a 9 out of 10, Famitsu gave it 34 out of 40, GameSpy gave it 96 out of 100, various publications giving it around the range of 70 and 80%. Uh, Metacritic gives it an average rating of 89 out of 100. It ranked first on X-Play's list of the scariest games of all time back in 2006, and over the years, IGN have listed it as one of the best horror games, one of the best PS2 games, and one of the best games ever made. In 2008, GamesRadar placed it on its list of the 15 best video game stories ever told. In 2009, Wired News listed it as the 11th most influential game of the decade. And Game Informer named Silent Hill 2 the best of the Silent Hill franchise, and in October 2014, listed it as the second best horror game of all time. That's quite a lot of accolades. We'll see if we all agree with that. But first of all, what is everybody's first experiences with Silent Hill 2? Showing what was your first time with Silent Hill 2 like? Uh, I have to go way, way, way back. I played it when it first came out. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I actually hijacked one of my friend's PS2s uh, to do that as well. Um, it was awesome. It, I've, I've got no other words for it. I remember, interestingly, I remember playing it and not properly understanding it, if that makes sense. I, I approached it very much from the same sense as how I might do um, like a Resident Evil game mm-hmm. uh, or a Dino Crisis or whatever else. So as a result, I feel like a lot of the subtlety, a lot of the nuances I missed the first time around, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, and it yeah. wasn't until I played it, you know, I think five or so years later, when I, at some point, I remember blasting through the entire thing, kind of getting to the end and going, okay, that, that was really satisfying, really awesome game. I'm now going to move on and play whatever else. Um, and then sort of really came back to it five or so years later, one day, and I can't honestly remember what prompted that. But when I played it that time, the sort of half recollection of what was going on, but also with a bit more maturity, really understood yeah. a lot more of of just the way the characters interact of the actual script um like angela was a really was a character that spoke to me a lot more on that second playthrough for example mm-hmm. um and a lot more understanding of of those sort of really subtle pieces and drop bits and pieces that are dropped into this at that stage um so yeah it's it's as exactly as you've just said with all of the accolades it's a really 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 solid solid video game there's very little bad i can say about it at all yeah I, uh, I know exactly where you're coming from because I uh, only played this for the first time about five years ago or something. It's my It was my first proper Silent Hill experience other than a little bit of dipping in and out of the first game. Um, this is the first time I sat down and actually played a game end to end. The sort of the wonderful thing about the podcast is that I will play games that I really should have already by this point. And that was true when I was doing my own YouTube thing as well. Um, it was just a good excuse to go, I really should have played XYZ Silent Hill 2 by this point. There you go, let's let's see what happens and make a video out of it. Uh, so I only played it in sort of my mid to late 20s. And I remember thinking, I'm really glad in a way that I waited. And because if I'd have played it when I was much younger, it definitely wouldn't have had the same effect on me uh, that it did. It absolutely blew me away. Um... Yeah, I'm going to get very, <laughs> like, very praiseworthy on this on this episode, but I'll leave it at that for now. Uh, Steve, what was your first experience? So, at the time of its release, uh, my, my parents were separated. I was going to see my dad, and he has a PlayStation 2. Now, you know who plays it for, like, your uh, racing games and stuff like that, uh, you know, sports games. Mm-hmm. You'll say a little bit more on the casual side. And I saw it in, I want to say, like, a supermarket. I can't remember which one. And I Dad, can I take this and try it out while I'm hanging out over the weekend? And so we did. We got as far as Pyramid Head having a moment with the mannequins, you know, when James is hiding in the cupboard. Mm-hmm. And he stood up and turned it off and said, you can play that in your own time, Stephen. This is too weird. And, uh, yeah, that, that was pretty pretty ingrained experience, really. <laughs> After that, yeah, it was just, honestly, it was... A fun time, but I'm very much, I think, similar to Sherwin. I went through it and like, one, done. Right, cool. That was interesting. Next game. And I moved on, which is a shame because I've got this like fancy pants edition with like some kind of making of stuff. I should have really watched it for the podcast. Sorry, I just didn't get a chance. Mm. Um, and it was, yeah, it was, it was okay. Uh, it wasn't until later, like uh, tragically, I know a lot of people will probably be up in arms at this. It wasn't until the HD collection came about that I really gave two another solid crack and wanted to try and get all the endings to see all the things and unlock all the yeah. stuff. 
and uh, dug deep on it. And yeah, it was a fun time. As I said, the first time it bounced off, I guess, you know, like, all right, that's okay. And then second time it got its roots a bit more in. Mm-hmm. You said deeply, it's funny that we've all had that similar kind of experience where because it is a very sort of mature game, but not in, when you say that, I guess people think of stuff like GTA, you know, this is, there is a lot of sort of depth to this. Um, I guess, as I said in the opening, um, the focus was on story, so I suppose it makes sense to start with that. And as with all of these, uh, we're definitely going to talk about endings and stuff like that. So <laughs> if you, for some reason, haven't played Silent Hill 2 uh, and you'd like to play it yourself before you hear exactly what happens in it, you might want to duck out because I am at least going to go deep in on the ending. But let's talk about the story, the setup. As you said, James Sunderland is the protagonist who comes back to Silent Hill um, via a letter he received from his wife to say, to tell him to meet her there, even though that she passed away three years ago. That's about as much information as we get. We get the letter in our inventory as well, which over the course of the game starts to fade away as James uh, explores strange depths and all the stuff that you kind of would expect having played the original Silent Hill. You know, you get to the other side, monsters start coming out through the walls and there's uh, a small roster of very strange characters to interact with. This is this very wild turn after Silent Hill 1. I would also like to watch that documentary. I, I am aware of it, but I've not seen it. And I wonder if they really sort of go into sort of explaining some of the story because this is such a departure from the first game in the sense that the first game is very much about cults and stuff like that. Whereas this is much more a internal look um, it really latches onto that psychological horror that the first game produced and thinks about it really sort of on the point of psychological. And we talked again in our original Silent Hill podcast about Jacob's Ladder and you get plenty of that in this one as well, definitely. Um, so to start with, I guess is um, you guys, you'd both played... Uh, Steve, did you, you play this before the original Silent Hill? Um, oh, if you I don't think... <laughs> Honestly, I don't think so. I think I played the first one. Right. First. Well, in in that case, do you remember having a reaction either the first time you played it or when you went back to it about what feels like a very odd turn away from that, the sort of culture yeah. and stuff like that? Yeah, I think that might have been part of the reason why I bounced off it initially mm-hmm. because connections to the first game weren't present, really. Like, no, not you really. could change a few names around, and I know a lot of people like law buffs are going to be shooting me in the head right now, but it's the most disconnected, isn't it? Mm-hmm. and uh, I, that may have been because obviously you know with Resident Evil games you're kind of like ah oh, Resident Evil 1 leads to Resident Evil 2 what revelations will we find this time <laughs> uh, it's not quite the same right absolutely <laughs> yeah I um, as I said because this is the first one I played when I did my video on it I, I I think I sort of ended it off by saying you know it's really interesting the concept of people sort of coming to the town to sort of face uh, their internal demons and stuff like that and I'm interested to see what other games present in that scope and then, of course, I got comments from people saying, actually, it's not really like that, or at least the early games, this one is the only one that's kind of like that, which I thought was was really odd. Um, Sherwin, did, what was your reaction following Silent Hill 1, the, the sort of story change in Silent Hill 2, the disconnectedness? Uh, do you know, I didn't even sense that very much, which is really interesting uh, and, and speaks very much of how I interpreted it when I first played it. I remember very much that for me, it was the atmosphere of the game. It was the feel of what it was. It was it was that psychological 
um, terror that you experience, which I think is the same in Resident, e uh, Resident Evil. Definitely not in Resident Evil. In, in Silent Hill One and also Silent Hill Two, it's mm -hmm. very much it draws from the same pool of what it, what's going on. Um, and for me, that was enough of a bridge. I didn't feel like a big disjointed. Um, I didn't feel like the story arc was disjointed. Absolutely, you've obviously got different protagonists. That's fine. And and you know, actually, I was not too bothered by that, or I wasn't too I wasn't too worried. It felt like we'd already kind of got to the end of Silent Hill 1 and didn't necessarily need a sequel. Right. Um, but it is something where that, for me, sort of smoothed it over. And then, of course, by the time I came back, I had half forgotten what you know most of the feeling of the original game was anyway. Mm -hmm. And then kind of really got to just experience it as a standalone thing. And as a result, it feels fine. I, I think the I think the honest way, of best the best sort of uh, line of way of thinking at it is, I think one of the things that deadens a lot of it is I know I played it after playing Final Fantasy VIII and Final Fantasy VII, which obviously and Final Fantasy IX, and obviously with every Final Fantasy game you're resetting completely and mm -hmm. moving on to the next game, and I think that's very similar for how Silent Hill works, or at least that's how that felt, and sure. that's why it didn't feel so quite so disconnected. I mean, if anything, Feels... it's, it's more connected than those games. You at least got the same yeah. sort of uh, setting. It feels like an anthology piece, you know, like they do mm. with the, is it the American Horror Story show, where it's the same actors and different stories each time. Mm -hmm. Instead, it's the same setting, but there's like a, a vastly different concept and stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, you also have sorry, I was going to say I'm... you also have nods, don't you? I remember um, there's right. the part where you find in the garbage, which is about actually Sun Hill Four, if memory serves, um, that you find later on, which is about the serial killer. Yeah, and the, the radio in the uh, elevator mentions Walter Sullivan. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. There's loads of different bits and pieces. Yeah, it, like the, the, it's definitely weaved in, and I and when you, it's only when you sort of think about sort of how much more of a personal story this is, uh, yeah. that's where it feels different. Because say so the setting is the same, even really the early moments of the game you're exploring, um, similar streets and stuff like that the stuff you know early streets from silent hill one before you start literally descending into your own personal hell after a certain point um but you know it feels like silent hill tonally and and gameplay when we get there it does it feels like a follow-up um but yeah when you actually start getting into the, the meat of the story it's definitely its own beast um so let's yeah so let's talk about the story a bit more let's so as I said, sort of own hell was the words I use, which is uh, very much sort of the idea of this one. There's all these characters that you'll interact with over the course of the game, and they all seem to be experiencing their own version of Silent Hill. Um, and they're all, I don't know, I guess very broken people for the, for the most part. Um, there isn't really any <laughs> nice characters in this game, I suppose. And it's... And the further you get into it, there's less nice in this game, which is, I can't imagine playing this as a younger person because it is, and Steve, it's funny because you talked about Zone of the Dead in our, in our previous bonus episode and you said the original, especially compared to the 2004 remake, it's quite bleak in its mm. story and its tone and stuff like that. Which absolutely makes sense in the context of that, but if you put Dawn of the Dead 78 next to... Uh, Silent Hill 2, it makes the Dawn of the Dead kind of look like one of those children's uh, oh, yeah, adventure park <laughs> sort of thing. This game is dark and the story is the, the, the dark, beating heart of it. 
with James uh, coming across these characters. Perhaps most importantly, Maria, who looks strangely like his wife, Mary. Um, that is kind of, for me at least, the way I look at it, is very much the driving part of the story. Um, Steve, how do you feel about the the main beats of the story? This is a lot to unpack. No, it's a big because, question. Yeah, every uh, every playthrough seems to give me new feelings and new interpretations and Mm. This latest one, I, 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 obviously a common one is that they're all going through their own personal hells and kind of just cross-crossing their own paths. But part of me wonders if they're all just like dead parts of James's psyche, like his guilt or his lust or mm. you know denial. It's it's weird. I generally it's a a fascinating story. It's a tragic and bleak one, obviously. I'm trying to not spoil too much because I feel like I'm getting a little bit suited at the starting gate. Um, but I mean, like the, the encounters with Maria and especially Angela, they 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 cut deep. Uh, mm. Like I, these characters, whether they are or aren't manifestations, you, you know, you feel for them in ways, and what happens yeah. to them. Like I don't think anyone, like in in that flame corridor with Angela, didn't have like you know at least a pang of sympathy for the poor lady. You know, and, and not to mention all the things that goes through before then, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the suicidal thoughts and stuff. Eddie, Eddie, not so much. Eddie's kind of just a git. Yeah, uh, not not to put too much of a ring on it. And like, even I, even in my first playthroughs, I, I don't think I've ever felt an ounce of sympathy for him. Mm-hmm. Like m- maybe it's me imprinting too much on him, but as someone who would consider themselves not all that physically attractive, I think he's making a bit, a bit show of it. Uh, <laughs> You know, James, massive confusing cipher for man who's yes. just a, yeah. a wreck. Like, he'll do strangely heroic things, like, I don't care if it's dangerous or not, in the opening, still perseveres through, proceeds to, like, you know, pummel and pound and solve puzzles. Every monster and stuff in his way ain't going to stop him to get to Mary. But it's all a front because he, like, literally crumples down when he watches that VHS tape. Mm. And depending is, on the ending you go, it could go even further. There's definitely an aspect of amnesia in this story, and it's not done in an obvious, hokey kind of way. It's almost like unsaid amnesia. You know, James is here to find the letter, you know, uh, to find his wife because of the letter. How can that be? She's dead. That's it. He doesn't go into any more detail than that, and I think it's almost kind of meant to be that he doesn't really know the detail. Um, buried in his psyche of course he does and it's pushing him to confront it and that's how that's what I see uh, as his driving force like you say cutting through all these monsters and getting into the thick of the danger Uh, but when he is forced to confront it that's yeah when it all kind of spirals and I have a lot to say about that moment Um, in terms of the other characters I I can't really defend Eddie I mean it's kind other people made him worse than he already was is kind of what's implied other than one making fun of him but it's not really a good excuse is it um i love this time around was this is on my second playthrough sort of understanding laura's character a bit more the small girl um how she seems to sort of be unfazed by everything that's going on um and i guess that's sort of just the fact that she's kind of like untarnished she's innocent other than being a bit annoying um, she, she doesn't really have a dark personal history, so she doesn't seem to see any of these monsters and stuff that everyone deals with. 
And some I was doing a little bit of reading, as I always do once I finish this game. I'm just like so absorbed with everything in it that I sort of can't help myself going on and just sort of reading up this and that or listening to this. Um, people pointing out that uh, all these characters sort of see their own monsters, potentially. That's the way it's implied. And yet James can see Angela's monster, which is her father. Uh, but it, the reason for that being theory, and I would be inclined to believe this theory, is that He's witnessing a man using his own powers over a helpless woman, which overlaps with his own problems and story, which is why he gets to fight that boss fight. But yeah, Angela is the absolutely a, a tragic, tragic one. Uh, it just piles all of that on. Uh, Sherwin, what do you think of all the, the characters and their relationship with Silent Hill? It's really interesting uh, just listening to you guys talk about uh, the sort of amnesia of all of the characters in Silent Hill. Uh, Sun Hill 2, I think for me, each of these characters begins with this idea of this is who I want to present to the world. This is who I believe I mm. am. Uh, I am mm. stronger than my demons. I am I am this person. You know, I am this person. They all have their own image of themselves. You know, again, we, we kind of look at you know, various different heroic acts or just the way they interact or they talk about themselves or whatever else and some more guarded than others or whatever else but but that's really where they're coming from but as the game carries on the game the dialogue especially is really frank and it's it's unapologetic if you mm. watch yeah if, if you see how the characters tend to interact in the sort of later stages of the game they're not holding back in terms of you know whether it's you're reading some document somewhere a diary or whatever else or you know a character is discussing things with each other there's there's moments which are quite raw. And mm. I think being exposed to these things is kind of stripping away that veneer that each of these characters is applying to themselves and just showing them for who they truly are. And that's something that James can't escape from um, at the very end. He kind of go, might go through this idea of, I'm here to you know see my wife and I'm this strong, upstanding guy who's kind of going through and I can heroically fight all of these enemies or whatever else. But at the end, he can't escape from what he is. That's simply that's that's the simple yes, rawness of yeah, it. And absolutely. when confronted with that, it literally is, you're that guy. That's what you did. That that's who you are. And it's and I think that's crucially it. It's the same with, you know, Angela's story, it's the same with Eddie's story. That these these characters are on their downward spiral and as much as they want to you know, at the top just present, hey, I'm completely good. They just aren't at all. They're all damaged in their own ways. Mm. Um what's really interesting is I actually thinking back to my first playthrough that was always and when i said earlier like understanding a lot more from where angela was coming from that's something where i remember on my first playthrough just not having any experience of of a lot of the um of speaking or speaking to anybody or having witnessed anything like the mental trauma that you know, mm. she's been through or physical trauma as well and and as a result not necessarily kind of thinking that sorry that very stereotypical kind of or just snap out of it kind of thing. No, nothing like that, but very much this sense of confusion as to, you know, I don't unnecessarily understand this character's motivation as to why she's going through this in the flame corridor, as Steve mentioned. Like, I'm, like it's almost that thing of, I want to save you, why can't I? And yes. if you think, yeah. and if you think you've, and if you think you've played other games, you know, like Resident Evil or whatever else up until then, you know, you always have a, there's always player agency. There's always a meaningful choice that enables you to do that. And in this particular instance, there just isn't. There's just inevitability. And mm. I think that's something which really hit home originally. And it was a source of frustration, I remember, the first time, thinking, well, well that's dumb. Like, I wanted to save you, and I couldn't. And then typically, you know, to go somewhat more meta into how video games work, immediately then reset the game, 
load a save file and see if I now can go through and make a different decision that enables me to get a different cutscene <laughs> kind of thing. Mm. And, and just sort of do that way if I can, if there's a way of doing it. And then ultimately going, well, never mind. I'll read it somewhere if I can or not, you know, later on, see what item I'm supposed to find that enables me mm. to do that. But, um, yeah, I think I think that's really the way that you interact with all the characters. It's it's something where the, I think the strength of the strength of Silent Hill Two is really that the it, a lot of the interpretation. It's also a slight weakness when you've not necessarily got the maturity to handle it. But a lot of it is you take from the story what is relevant to you or what you understand or what you can really comprehend or what mm. you want to see from it. Because there's a whole bunch of different stuff going on, you know, in terms of motivations for characters. Yeah, you. A lot of it is only shown at the surface as well. So so much is hinted at. So much of it is subtle, and you have to kind of really pull. What? What? Yeah. What do I take from this? And I think at that point, that's really, that's really why it makes every single playing of it very personal. But then that just suits the game itself anyway. Yeah, yeah, it definitely feeds into what the game is, the personal journey and stuff like that. And and you're right, almost of like. Not fighting against the system like you were doing there and thinking, that's not right, this is a video game, I should be able to do this. Um, even at the age I was when I first played this, as I said, sort of mid to late 20s, I hadn't experienced a game that just kind of went, no, this is just the way it's going to be. Like, you you don't get to have too much in the way of, not redemption, but like... <laughs> I don't know, it's it's satisfying, but not in any way that any other video game is. You don't beat the big bad and go home a hero and stuff like that, necessarily. There are nicer endings than others, and we'll get there. But, um, yeah, so we talked about the maturity level, and I said, you know, it's not like GTA mature, because you always got swearing in it, it's gratuitously violent, and it's got pixelated genitals in it or anything. This is adult on a on a whole other level that I hadn't experienced as a video game, even in my twenties at this point. Um this game like had a huge effect on me. Um and it was that specific moment. And it doesn't come as I said, it's the first time I played it, so it doesn't come from nostalgia or it wasn't any coming of age time because I was in my twenties. But that particular moment near the end where James has to confront what he's done and he has it revealed to himself this thing that he may or may not have forgot that's buried inside of his mind. Um what stands out about it is how often do we see video game characters beg for their lives, you know, beg for mercy, and in James's own words, to be left alone. Not just like warrior types and super soldiers, just average Joes. You know, they usually, they face the foes, they beat the odds, they go home, uh, have a nice pint and everything like that. It's so uncomfortable to watch that scene. It, it, it it's, I, it's so effective that makes you confront things like shame and guilt real life things like that and and this normal dude that you've been playing as you sort of unravels as this horrifically flawed guy that you thought was just your average video game protagonist but he's done terrible things and yet it's deeply upsetting to hear him break down at the same time obviously i can't defend the choices that he made but it does make you think about flaws and guilt and heat of the moment decisions and how they can affect not just other people's lives, but your own mind for the rest of your life. Like, I've never experienced a horror like that, like a, like a psychological horror on that level, where afterwards I was just like sitting back going, Psh, okay, as I say, like afterwards I just had to start reading into theories and sort of understanding more about it. It was just so intoxicatingly different. 
Um, that moment, that double pyramid head execution scene is, for me, probably the best moment of character resolution in video game history. Steve, how do you feel about... Uh, that's not necessarily the end of the game. We'll talk about the actual endings, but that huge moment in the game. Where he's trying to shrug off his guilt and then come to terms with it and then finally accepts it. Yeah. For, for my 15-year-old brain at the time, it kind of washed over it. But now it's, it's very powerful. I, you know, It's like you said, it, this man who has pretty much had his, his dirty laundry put back in his face to show all the sins he's committed and then in a way trying to own up to them, but also still, I don't know what you'd call it, really. It's very strange, I, 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 isn't it? Because like I say, it is, it's almost like he's come here to face his own demons and Pyramid Head is sort of this manifestation of his own guilt. That's what he says. He creates him to punish him. But you're right, he does yeah. resist, almost. I mean, realistically, if he really wanted to be punished all the time, he'd just let Pyramid Head end him, wouldn't mm -hmm. he? Like, uh, this is the thing with Sam Hill, too. I always feel like when, when people start discussing lore and the story, I feel so rightfully immature and unsophisticated enough for it. Uh, but no, it's... Right words would be to put it. But it's a nice, um, a fitting conclusion before mm. the conclusion. Like, it's a final resolution for James. As in, like, after they kill Maria for the millionth time in front of him, mm -hmm. he, he, he finally, you know, accepts it. And it's time to end this. And I, I don't know, it, it feels like almost a false vibrato, but even then the, the next encounter along is also very, like, depending on how you've done it, he can be kind of standoffish. Um, Absolutely. It, it speaks to how do you confront the things that you've done and do you, what is forgiveness, you know, because a lot of different endings have him do severely different things, which we'll get to. Yeah. Uh, Sherwin, what do you think of this particular moment? Because I don't know if it's just me speaking, but I feel like this is the moment of the game. Do you know, deeply unpopular opinion. Uh, it's extremely unsatisfying. Ah, okay. Um, but I'm not going to approach it from the same point as you. I 100% understand uh, where you're coming from in terms of... Um, you know, in terms of narrative arc for James and so on. I, I very much get that. For me, it... There's something about there's something about the moment that feels unsatisfying. Uh, for a starting point, it it's it's a make create. I remember at the time, as soon as you see that there's multiple pyramid heads, it immediately decorates this weird disconnect for me. Mm. I very much distinctly remember that you have this one foe who suddenly now is almost kind of split into two. If that makes sense, or there's mm. or there's now multiple of it, and, and there's something about that that doesn't necessarily that just didn't resonate with him very, very terribly well. It's almost, as you say, it's this thing that he's created to punish himself with. And now there's more of it. Is that an amplification of what, of that sentiment? Is that something where we just have two in there for whatever reason? I'm not sure. And, uh, and truthfully, it just didn't feel like it just matched very well or married up very well to me. Um, but truthfully, I think that the, the, the moment, the, the reason why is if I think back to most, um, it's really about James's sort of uh, story arc in the sense that most survival horror is about 
survival literally that you are mm. you are dumped in this random place and you are just trying to survive whether that's counting resources whether that's kind of exploring while you're scared witless whether that is that you're desperately looking for for some way of making it through and the experience the best way i've ever found to describe it is it's almost like you're holding your breath every single step you make mm. every door you open every time you confront an enemy and don't get killed somehow you're holding your breath and in and when you die you kind of realize you go and it all literally drains straight out of your body and at that point you realize you've you know you've been really caught up into this thing you've really bought into it you've really engaged with it for so much time and whether that happens when you escape or whether that happens when you die and then it slowly starts to build up and escalate again whatever for me it's like you're doing that and then you get to this point and suddenly the game is yeah actually no and it just feels so flat as a result Mm. for me it just feels it just felt such a flat experience. And I think some of that as well is probably tied to the actual gameplay at this point, which we'll get onto later on as well, I think, um, that follows on from this. But yeah, for, for me, it's just it's it's a moment. I feel all of the best parts of what Silent Hill 2 are happen in the early stages and throughout the actual journey, not the resolution. Interesting. Yeah, I could certainly see that. I can certainly see that point of view, especially as you say about two pyramid heads. I hadn't really thought about that. There's got to be th- theories, definitely, about why there's two. It's a very strange, deliberate choice. He knows the truth. Now there is two, and they have spears instead of a giant sword. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a very big disconnect. We should, at this point, really comment on. I mean, at all times you see pyramid head, that that guy has dance moves. Like every <laughs> single time you see him moving around. Um, just the funky dance, the funky dance moves you get, and th- and that scene is no exception. There is all sorts of interesting things happening there. But anyway, back up to you, so yeah, he's a he's a character, that's for damn sure. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it isn't it isn't necessarily one of those hold your breath kind of games. Uh, I don't think it's more like a brain itch for me. Um, yeah. It's not about the world full of monsters. It's about the psyche. It's about it's so 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 hokey but the horror in this is the human heart is what i've got written down you know it's got it's the darkness and stuff like that um it's such i think it's such a sad game that's you know it's it's so weird to come away from playing a game being like that was absolutely awfully sad and yet i loved it it's bizarre if well, Hallmark I... made Halloween cards, I think we've got <laughs> the, the, the tagline for it there, just to yes. say. Yeah, I think I think it's worth pointing out. I mean, my read is based very heavily on the first time through I played it, and mm-hmm. that's something I apparently couldn't quite shake. So perhaps the scene left more of a resolution with me than, than I thought. But Because I know when I played it the second time, I understood it a lot more uh, mm-hmm. because I understood what the story was doing or whatever else. But at the same time, absolutely, it... Sun Hill 2 in many ways requires you to snap out of that traditional survival horror place that you thought you were in and then look at this from a completely different perspective. Mm. And sometimes that works exceptionally well. And other times, you know, you find yourself kind of going back a bit. And if I'm still if I'm still like loading up the game again, trying to kind of find the item that's let me save Angela, for example, then I'm pretty sure I'm not at that stage. I'm pretty sure that I'm probably not going to buy into two pyramid heads and the, uh, <laughs> and, the and what happens afterwards. <laughs> Well, on that note then, let's talk about the multiple endings. Um, there are six, I think, in this game. Mm. Uh, two sort of gag endings, which is sort of Silent Hill norm already by this point. The UFO ending, which is just, yeah, just, you know, it is what it is. And to then, of fair, course, the dog ending. To be, 
Uh, the, the true UFO ending. ending has continuity with the previous UFO it does. ending, which I love. You get Harry and everything. Yeah, yeah. and it's the true ending. Yeah, and the dog ending is the true ending of Silent Hill. <laughs> so, in, in that scene, if you're playing any version, is the voice acting just Japanese no matter yes. what? Right, okay, because yes. I was trying to find one with English. All right, he just suddenly becomes Japanese for one line. That's brilliant. Yeah, so everything being controlled by a Shiba Inu, as you do. And then there's See, the Eddie four... thought he killed the dog, and he hadn't. I thought, you know, <laughs> That's the dog right. went and built Silent Hill. Just That's the true Eddie. story. <laughs> And yeah, then there's the four endings, um, none of which that I can tell are truly canon. Uh, the only thing that Silent Hill 2's endings really, well, or rather, the only thing that other games in the Silent Hill franchise look back on uh, to maybe point you in the direction of a certain ending, depending on how you read a line from Silent Hill 4 uh, that says, you know, James Sunderland went to the town and disappeared. But when you look at the endings, technically, that could be any of them. Um, Steve, do you have a, a, a favourite ending? Is there an ending that you do you believe should be the right ending? Me, uh, being the optimist, would say the leave ending, where mm-hmm. you know James leaves with Laura, and it's all moderately honky dory, in quotation marks. But I think the real book ending for the story, and and I, I feel fits the tone of the game, is the in water ending, mm-hmm. where obviously James comes to terms with his guilt and then realising he can't go on without Mary thinks that sedan would look great in that lake <laughs> I'm uh, yeah I'm inclined to agree with that I think uh, shock horror me the one that likes how deeply tragic this game is uh, I also you know I'm, I'm sort of partial to I think it's called the Maria ending I guess I don't know if it has oh. any further name than that where he bleed he, though isn't it yeah exactly he, where he leaves with the the sort of I guess, internal version that he's created of Mary and just, you know, walks off. And she, like, coughs to imply that she's ill, so maybe it's gonna, all going to happen again. You better I'd... do something about that cough. Like, the last line of the Maria ending is so grim, especially mm. after the credit. Yeah, so it's, yeah, kind of almost implies sort of like a, a cyclical thing. Maybe James, is, he's not going to escape what he's done ever. I, I kind of like that, but maybe that's a little bit too dark and a little bit too weird. It, straight up, just driving into a lake works too. Uh, Showing other than the dog, do you have any favourite endings? You know, I'm, I'm tempted to pick one of the ones that you haven't gone with uh, purely because that way it kind of gives more discussion points. So I could go Rebirth, for example, and go, oh yeah, no, I'm totally an optimist. Like, you know, we're going to have zombie Mary for the entire time. It's going to be fantastic. <laughs> Like, you know, like in all of the other Silent Hills, if they just go out to the lake, you know, they'll find James and Zombie Mary having a great old time in a little <laughs> shack out there, you know, living their lives and doing all sorts of stuff. Um, Stranger, no. hello there. The old gods haven't left this place. Let meet my wife, Mary. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. exactly, right. And, and that's pretty much it. Um, and, you know, they have a little Shiba Inu and it's lovely. Um, but no. Um, I think I think like you, I'm I'm more inclined to go for the um, for the Maria ending in the sense that I think there's there's lots of interesting questions that, that one asks uh, which the others don't necessarily do. Mm. So for example, um, you know, in water is is pretty straightforward as is leave. Um, I think there's an interesting question that gets raised in terms of you know, is Maria has it has Maria ever been ever been real? 
in any sort of sense you know is it mm. something that's always existed in james's head is this a person that he's you know is this a construct where he's based it on you know seeing some random person and then kind of built them up to being an imaginary person in his head who that's something to with is it actually a real person that he's met at some point and there's really an interesting you know or even dated or whatever you know there's all sorts of really interesting um questions that are asked by that ending which and again as i said the player makes their own decision on where they land at that it's entirely feasible to watch the maria ending and say do you know what maria is a is a person that james met and had an affair with in you know mary's mm. last few times and he basically he's been trying to say you know what i need to move on from my wife and that's and that's really what it is and there's some sort of remnant of that which is where he's obviously so scarred that as soon as this new person has a cough he's up well, you need to take care of that because it's not happening again <laughs> uh, or whatever else you know that kind of thing yeah or is it something where he's literally just gone insane and has created this construct that he's talking to in his head and it, it adds a really interesting knowing that ending exists and watching that really if you then go back and play the game again gives you some really interesting uh, viewpoints on the actual maria dialogue if mm. you then look at that which are the way that they interact and they talk to each other there's some really interesting stuff that you kind of start to think okay is is that actually what this is like you know hey i'm gonna lead you into the strip club uh kind of you know a uh, bit okay cool i'm going into i'm going to this bar or whatever interesting is that because the original thing he saw of maria is you know some you know, um, for a better term, a stripper or kind of, you know, whore mm. or whatever else. is, And he's kind of fetishized that and built it into something else. Is that someone who actually he met? And then there's some other interactions we're not aware of. There's so much that the player needs to make a decision on their own mind. that I think that one's a really open ending compared to the others, which tend to be a bit more like they pull everything in together and say in a nice, nice, nice neat package and say, yeah. this is how the ending is. You know, it's... Um... It's interesting with all the talk of Maria. She's she's always the final boss, with the exception of the Maria ending, isn't she? In that case, mm-hmm. Mary is in fact Mary at the end. Like, yeah, I think uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, and um, I've always, in my, you know, I, I, again, I, I feel somewhat underqualified, but I, the way I always interpret it was like, leave is James forgiving himself. Mm-hmm. You know, in water he doesn't forgive himself. And then, you know, Maria is giving in to denial and just completely blocking it out and just moving on to something else, you know, living in his own delusion. Right. Yeah. And and Rebirth is like, you know, shall we say, like that step even further or but somehow still acknowledging that Maria is dead. Yeah. <laughs> like we, we've gone from denial to insanity. Mm. Unless you want to count UFO and dog as that. But yeah, <laughs> it's a bit of a stretch. Um, yeah, yeah. But the fact that you always encounter, like, you know, you think it's Mary, but it's Maria at the end, with the exception of one ending. And even then, it could still be Maria, that a version of Maria playing mind games. Mm. Like, I, I question whether she's real or not. And then they, they muddy the waters even further by giving her her own, quote-unquote, DLC special edition episode. Yeah, that's hmm. true. Yeah. Is she a manifestation of James Will? Is she just a person who's here who looks a lot like... Uh, mm. Obviously, she's not... Of this world, she dies like three or four times. But yeah, mm, yeah, uh, lots yeah. of yeah, lots of unanswered stuff to to muse on, which with sometimes can be a detriment if you don't do it right. But I think that considering we're talking about this game twenty years on or whatever, um, says a lot about how well constructed all of that is to allow people to come up with their theories and their own ideas about 
what exactly takes place and what how exactly it ends and what it all means um it is so wonderfully woven together it's like even stuff within just exploring silent hill itself obviously some of the more obvious ones uh when you realize it is sort of the enemy design and stuff is all tied to the story um and pyramid head himself we talked about him sort of being this manifestation of punishment but you've got the nurses and stuff that have got the faces wrapped up and the the um what are they called the mannequins just two pairs of legs on top of each other essentially you've got the straight jackets and stuff it all very much plays into uh james's story and sort of the tone that that creates which is funny because, of course, being the huge success that Silent Hill 2 is, all of these things have occurred in other entries with absolutely no regard <laughs> for the fact how well tied into the story it is. Um, well, there's, there's, I think there's an interesting point. Um, there's a couple of points that in my book I just want to touch on if possible, hmm. um, which is, and arguably, and the first one is, is literally just a note of, I think one thing that, one thing that we're all very used to, and uh, granted, I don't know our listenership. I don't know you know where people are listening from, and you'll probably have this stats side. But one of the things that the world is entirely familiar with now is the Hollywood storytelling mode. Mm. Yeah, where we are presented with something which is idiot proof. You know, this is this is the beginning of something. This is the end. There's a very obvious construct of introducing a perfect world. Then something disrupts that, and the hero heroes go through and and change that, and then we have a resolution or whatever else. This is not this is not this doesn't fit into western storytelling this is very much yeah. it feels very much reminiscent of japanese story you know traditional japanese storytelling and that's okay it's it's a different approach and that's what i think sometimes we find quite jarring uh, about how this works and that's mm. that's as that's a certain point um the other one is i mean arguably there is something where you say well silent hill is defined by the the stuff that happens within it in every single silent hill game i think there's and i could i'm happy happy to be proven wrong here but there's some impact of what other games have had at the same time. And it could well be that this is a trauma that, you know, bearing in mind what Silent Hill as a, as a place is, it just feeds so much on trauma and everything else. Mm. It could be that James's trauma and James's turmoil is so much that that actually bleeds into other eventualities and other yeah. things that happen around that. It helps define what Silent Hill is. So if you do see the same enemies appear again, if you do see the same events happening or whatever else, that's because this is something which is such a massive sort of a psychological crater as it mm. were within silent hill that it does bleed out into other people's stuff i really like that actually as you said sort of like it's feeds been... feeds on it and makes it yeah, in the same way that, itself right in the same way that james can see other characters uh mm. bosses for want of a better term or enemies or demons you know other characters can see the demons of james yeah fair point uh yeah i, I do like that idea definitely james's mania is op <laughs> yeah, bro. It certainly is. Um, so let's He's talk about.
Let's talk a bit about um, atmosphere and stuff like that, which obviously and, and tone, which is hugely important in not just horror games, but Silent Hill. Um, you know, from the first game, had such a unique look and tone and atmosphere. Um, this bleak, dark, instantly oppressive feeling that you get almost right away with Silent Hill 2, I feel like. Um, and it really doesn't let up after it begins. In fact, if anything, it just obviously gets slowly worse and worse. I feel like in this game, and it's been a year since I played the original Silent Hill, but I feel like it takes longer to get to the other side, if you want to call it that, um, as opposed to the original game, which is, I don't know, good, bad, depending on your uh, your sort of point of view. Um, but when you do finally get there, that is like a big, big step down this long descending staircase of misery. Um yeah, just, again, this is a massive step up from... Everything in this game is kind of a, comparable to RE2, to RE1. Um, it's just a huge step up in every way, and the atmosphere and the tone is a big part of that. They knew what they had built from the first game, and they knew what they wanted, and they just, yeah, just bolted some stuff to make it even thicker. And obviously, the benefit of jumping to a new console as well, and some some uh, advancements in technology... Yeah, it's just it's just really really strong. There, I there are no sort of cracks in it for me. Um, Steve, what do you think of the the atmosphere of the game? Uh, generally, very strong. It's the reason I keep coming back to it. Mm. Or um, even you know comparing it to Silent Hill One's opening like gambit in the town when you're walking around. This uh, in Silent Hill One, it feels like everyone's just disappeared. Like this, this this might massive ravines in the road, but everyone's not around. This one actually feels like the town itself. Even in the daylight, in the in, in the normal world, almost feels post-apocalyptic because it literally looks like something has took all the people away. Every building you go into is dilapidated, even before it gets messed up by mm-hmm. the uh, quote-unquote other world. And it's uh, aesthetically, for me, one of its strongest. You know, one of its strongest things. It's the fact that it feels so desolate. Yeah, and you know, I, I know it's corny and probably played out to say it, but it's so oppressive and so lonely. It's it feels very haunting. If Silent Hill One is weird, this is just haunting mm-hmm. as a parallel, and it's all the more stronger for it. Like the only things you see, obviously, in both games is just the monsters milling around in the daytime and the night. But here, they they literally feel like the only thing that's left. Whereas in the other one, it's just like the people have disappeared. Yeah. Yeah, it's very true. It does sort of feel like they're just wandering the streets now with nothing left to do because there's no one around. <laughs> mm. Sherwin, what do you think of the atmosphere? So I actually went back uh, and watched a whole bunch of footage uh, last night in preparation for this podcast, and and it just resonated with me as it does every single time I see it. It's the most... It, I think this will sound overstated, but I think it's true. Silent Hill 2 is probably the most harrowing and terrifying video game I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> it's it's a game where at any point you feel deeply, thoroughly uneasy. Mm. You at no one point do you feel ever feel comfortable or content at all. If yeah, there's there is no if safe I think it, No, there is it's unrelenting. If I think if I think of Resident Evil as an obvious sun, a survival horror comparison Resident Evil, in a lot of ways, is sometimes you are running between the game and you are scared and you are afraid. But as soon as you see another character, you're like, "Okay, I'm safe. Mm. There's, I'm in a cutscene now, or or Barry's with me because you know 
Barry fixes everything. Barry and Silent Hill, by the way, would completely ruin everything. But the point <laughs> is, is that uh, Barry Burn would just kill anything that moves. But the point is, is that you put any any time you meet another character, any time you kind of have some sort of cutscene or something, then it pauses, it re- it stops, it it relents. Silent Hill Two doesn't do that. It when you when you meet Maria and you're walking around with her, the enemies are still attacking you. You still have no light. You are still afraid. Mm. If anything, you're now afraid because you need to keep this other person alive as well. It just ramps up the tension. It's a game which, right from the start, when you first arrive, and then you run, and it very deliberately makes you run down a descending slope into the village, uh, sorry, into the town. Mm. Uh, You basically just run down and down through this slightly unsettling because of the length of time that you're running. Yeah. Um, yeah. Passage running down where where if you stop running, James, uh, James will stop and be out of breath and kind of shows you that. Even that note is a is a big. Even that subtle note is a big thing. Yeah, we were used to video games where our character can just run around, you know, pretty much an, in, in infinity and mm-hmm. never become exhausted or anything. James is not that. He will. He will, yeah. He is human. He is fragile, and it's that same sense. And as you go through, you run down, and then eventually, exactly as Steve said, when you first get there. It feels kind of like it's abandoned. It doesn't feel quite so initially scary, but it immediately starts sort of being very creepy, very eerie, very worrying, very disturbing. And that just amplifies up and up and up to the point where, I mean, the first moment when that really kind of ticks over for me is the point where you get into the apartments. And at that point, you're terrified. Yeah. yeah. You're absolutely yeah. terrified. I've, I don't think I've ever played a game. My, my, my status operandi when I remember first time playing Silent Hill 2. And I guarantee I will lose any kudos points I have of anybody for saying this. Is I walked into a new room. Let's look at the map. Let's immediately look at the map because I'm not good at whatever is coming to me. That's my thing. And I remember looking at that map, studying very intently, going, "Right, I'm going to come out of the map now and see what it is that's making the radio go, and then mm. run away from it because I am not good about this. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not happy about the situation. Um, literally, that I've never spent as much time staring at a map screen. Uh, as I have playing Silent Hill 2, and that's only because it's just scaring me enough that I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be in that thing without having the capacity to escape somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. That is, I, think that said, is... I think at that point, I've said enough. No, absolutely. That is the sign of a great horror game. You know, I want to play this, but also I don't want to play this anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, no. And another great, and this is sort of like gameplay uh, points, but which we'll get back around to, but the use of darkness in this game is fantastic you know point number one you can't even look at your map if you don't have a torch so there is no defensive map for you and worse yet of course if it's so dark that you need the map to understand where you are and get you can't look at it you are just bumbling around in the dark and when that static noise picks up and you're in a pitch black room there's basically no jump scares in this game really but the game, you feel like it's going to happen. The tone is so strong that it puts it in your mind because you know what a horror game film experience is. But it doesn't really have any jump scares. Yet you will always be on edge of whatever is stumbling out of the dark. Even when you've got your torch and they come around the corner and you can see if, you know two pairs of legs on top of each other. It's like, uh, okay, back off slightly, make sure I've got the right thing equipped. Um, yeah it's the apartment is the first like huge point in that and the other thing you touched on that i wanted to mention definitely was the long descents you get several of them throughout the game so it's really appropriate that essentially the first thing you do is have a long descent into the town itself when later on there are a few uh sort of 
long corridors or a huge staircase. I literally was playing um, on my recent playthrough for this. Uh, I was playing the moment where you go down the big staircase and I said out loud, am I just getting Mario 64 Have I forgotten something here? Is this an infinite staircase? <coughs> and I've missed some. No, it just goes on forever. Which is, I mean... You you could say it's a dumb decision, but it really does. It's really effective where it is in the game because you're like, uh, something's not quite right. Something wherever I get to is going to be much worse than where I was. It do, like you say, it doesn't let up. Um, sticking with the tone, the atmosphere, and the look of the game. Let's talk a bit about the graphics, I suppose. Uh, Steve, any thoughts on the look of Silent Hill from a graphic perspective? Uh, fantastic. Like, even 2001, even... Oh, okay, I know it's a bit maligned in the fan base, but I would say it's at least reasonably serviceable. Even the HD collection, it looks fantastic. Like, for the era it's in, it's comparable, in a way, to being um, as strong as Remake 1. Like, mm. in every way that Remake 1 has high-definition uh, design, this has high-definition in its environment itself. Like... The actual place looks lived in and designed. The textures are all very well done, with the exception of maybe the Silent Hill Ranch sign in the HD collection and so on. And it's mm -hmm. just unbelievably, not photorealistic, but stylized in its own way, but still very much you can tell what it is. And when and when that becomes the Otherworld variant, it's all the more unsettling for it. Yeah, Like the, the, the hospital being draped in, like, you know, grime and flannels and... Rapes. I don't know what you'd call them. I mean, you know, the, mm. the fabric and stuff like that, which is obviously meant to be about James's actions regarding his wife. Yeah. At least that's the way I see it. Yeah. And then I the the hotel always gets me because the hotel when you go into the quote unquote other world dark version, whatever you want to call it, it's all like drowning. It's like the the, the building itself is being pulled into the lake. It's almost mm. like I know it isn't, but it feels almost Lovecraftian terror is seeping in. I know it's more about. about James himself breaking down and like, you know, sadness, tears, at least mm -hmm. maybe that's one so. interpretation. And it's so powerful. Say this came out literally 20 years ago mm -hmm. to still stack up way more than when we have like the high spec uh, fidelity of like the Unreal Engine Unity and all these other things, which a lot of indie devs, which to be fair, seem to lean on Silent Hill to a lot for their horror games, you know, mm -hmm. as inspiration, still can't quite match up. And yeah. uh, I, I feel like I'm, like you know, maybe giving it a little bit too much praise, but it is so well done. Yeah, I, I'm inclined to agree, definitely. Um, a lot of people like praise Silent Hill 2's story, but its aesthetics need as much praise, in my opinion. Yeah, um, I think that's I think that's really fair. Uh, it's good to shine a light on something like that that doesn't get uh, nearly enough praise. And yeah, I agree, especially as you said, the sort of stark difference of the the other side. Uh, hotel which in retrospect because this time around i actually got the in water ending by pure chance um i was just playing the game just to see what you know i'll, I'll get whatever ending i get um and it in retrospect it, it works so well to get this dripping hotel before james decides to drive himself into the lake um and what you said about the hd version i'm so glad you said that because that's the only version of silent hill 2 that i've played um and it didn't ruin the experience for me, obviously, because, you know, I've gone ham already. Well, you're not a real cool. purist then, sorry. Oh, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. I can understand... <laughs> do you know what? I can understand why some fans wouldn't be massively keen on it, you know. 
It's some, some places are a bit too grey and some textures are a little bit too clean. Some people will say they've got issues, and I think this is more with the Xbox version because it didn't get patches, but some issues with textures dropping and, and stuff like that. But I've never really had any massive issues with it. Um, on the plus side, with the Silent Hill 2 version in HD collection, you get the original voices. Wouldn't play it any other way, personally. Uh, at least it has that over the Silent Hill 3 version uh, on that disc. I think generally if you're going to play it, uh, I, I, yeah, if you can play the PS2 version, play it on old hardware if you can. But the HD version isn't necessarily as bad as everyone's. Everyone seems to say that you know it's one of the death knells of the series. I think that might be a bit extreme, personally. I haven't had any issues. Um, I mean, it's there are visual hang-ups and there are flaws, but they're like... It's not a death by a thousand cuts. It's more like, you know, five or six nicks at best. It's mm. not the end of the world. Absolutely. Sound Hill 3 has a lot of sound bugs, but when we get to that podcast, we'll talk about the HD collection on that, I'm probably sure. Um, yes, yeah. probably, yeah. Overblown. Um, indeed. Uh, Sherwin, what are your thoughts on the graphics of SH2? Do you know, I generally tend to avoid anything um, discussion-wise of, of uh, you know, for example... Yeah, what does it look like on the HD remaster? How much? How much has it aged over time, or whatever? I, I more generally always focus on what's the original intent, what's the original yeah, design, for sure. what made this thing work. Um, Sun Hill works so very, very well, or Sun Hill Two. I should, I keep doing that as approximation, but it is true across the entire series, of course. But specifically for Sun Hill Two, it works so well because the locations look lived in. They look realistic. They mm. they feel like somewhere where you can instantly relate to that place. Even if it's like literally a pram in the middle of a swimming pool filled with things in straitjackets, like you can, there's enough detail. Hundred percent. There's enough detail in the small things in the focal points that immediately make you look at them and resonate with you. And it doesn't matter, you know. And and, you know, it's whether it's a, you know, if you think about some of the apartments and the detail in terms of, you know, like the kitchen tops, for example, or kind of, um, you know, the wallpapering or the tiling or whatever else. All of that stuff immediately feels so so relatable and i think that's the biggest strength it has and it definitely has its own style even you know whether that style is i'm literally surrounded by black you know by inky blackness and all Mm. i can see is my own light that's illuminating myself and the ground in front of me whether it's the oppressive uh you know mist rolling towards you as you're running through the town whether it's that jaded coloring that you know the game generally tends to have or the super warm kind of dangerous kind of oppressiveness of when you're actually in the other world sort of elements all of that stuff really combines to make to make this game feel like it's really got its own distinct style that is impactful it resonates with you and it just stays with you i I can't really add anything to that except the one thing i will say which is the goofy way in which james actually runs and moves around a lot (laughs) yes which just feels really really funky uh, and obviously, we talked about the, the sort of you know the funky dancing of, of Pyramid Head, but I actually quite like that. So I'm not going to criticise that in the slightest. I enjoy like his dance moves; uh, they look pretty cool. Um, so yeah, that, just, just to just just to chime in that that run animation, like SH one, SH three, SH four, they're they're all like otherworldly weird in the way that they all run. No one can run like in a straight line and not look like some kind of escaped um, you know psychiatric patient in the Silent Hill. It seems. Yeah, exactly. And maybe that's maybe that's the secret of the series. Maybe that's what they're trying to point out to us. Um, yeah. But um in the same way that, you know, um yeah, it's well, maybe that's maybe that's just it. 
but anyway, no. So, so that's that's my original take on it. And you know, anything that comes out of that is really a hardware discussion, or you know, a, sure. a remastered discussion, or whatever else. And to be honest, I don't think it really cuts. Yeah, you know, it kind of sidesteps the issue of it. And the concept of some graph bad graphics being the death knell of the entire series is a, is an amazing line uh, made by somebody who's probably got far too much time on their hands. <laughs> quite frankly, oh, I've seen some things in the Silent Hill community. There are some people out there that. Are... Yeah. Uh, right. So, speaking of aesthetics and uniqueness and completely recognisable, the instant that it crosses your path is, of course, the soundtrack for Silent Hill. Um, almost, arguably, or well, as much as, if not possibly more so than anything else, for my personal opinion. Uh, the music of Silent Hill is it's just the music of Silent Hill it couldn't possibly be anything else like so much of it you hear it and you can go yeah Silent Hill some of it if you're good enough you go yeah Silent Hill 2 instantly Um, so much so and we talked about this we've covered the films poor us Um, so much so that they had to use Silent Hill music in the films otherwise it really was not even going to stand a chance of bearing any resemblance to Silent Hill um, I feel like some games can lose the classic soundtrack. It's, for me personally, it's a, a, a bit of a weird reference, I suppose. But uh, the Halo games, they always had a very specific sound, you know, brought back the same composer every time. For Halo 4 onwards, it's been different. And Halo 4, for me, I love Halo 4. I think it's one of the best games in the series, personally. Soundtrack's very, very different, though. But it's still Halo. Where I'm at now with Silent Hill, which admittedly I've only played 1 through 3, playing a Silent Hill game without that soundscape it doesn't seem like it would sit quite right for me. Um, and Silent Hill 2, in terms of its quality, like everything else, it's right up there as potentially the best. You know, you've got the classics. Promise comes from this, which is probably, if you looked up Silent Hill music, it's probably the first track that comes up. Laura's theme, which you've heard in this episode. Stuff like White Noise and the more discordant stuff. Uh, classic. A lot of it comes from this soundtrack. Steve. Would you like to say some words about the wonderful OST of this game? OST, it varies from if there is a piano in it, it's really generally a uh, a nice melody you could probably listen to, mostly. Mm. And uh, mental torture. <laughs> and I don't mean that in disrespect, that's the point of a horror game. It, it always gets under my skin and makes me feel so unbelievably uncomfortable. And it's a distinct sound that only the Silent Hill games and Akira Yamaoka seems to you know, bring to the table. And it's definitely one of the best for it. Like in terms of, you know, with terms of diegetics, right? Getting the actual feel of the area and the, um, the, the, the nature across of just where you are. And yeah, it, it nails it. I sadly, my, my musical knowledge is kind of, Fantastic, as you can see. So <laughs> it could, yeah, no, it would. It, 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 it but I'm, I'm more of a fan of the piano tunes. The rest isn't so much going to be on my like, you know, to do to listen list. <laughs> Although you know, I I absolutely agree with that. Although when I put this game down, there are tracks that are you know barely constitute music that still just sort of bounce around my head for a while. They just really burrow in there, whatever it is, even if it is. Um, intentionally atonal stuff uh showing what do you think of the soundtrack i mean as a person who owns 
all of the Silent Hill soundtracks up to four. Um, I, I can't, I can't but agree. It's it's an exceptional soundtrack in the sense that Silent Hill soundtracks are one of the most um, instantly recognizable things, as we've said mm-hmm. about any Silent Hill game. Yeah, it, it's it's one of the most instantly recognizable Silent Hill, uh, sorry, sound video game soundtracks you can ever find. You can listen to any track from this soundtrack and go, "That's Silent Hill." Just is, there's no other way of saying it. Yeah, and I, I think in the same way that I think contemporary games for various different reasons mostly being that they don't necessarily have to have such strong soundtracks anymore have really just lost their way in a lot of places for what a good soundtrack is i think that the the golden age of video game soundtracks is behind us unfortunately now mm-hmm. um i think this is definitely a, a massively strong entry and i should stress it's it's not i mean on this podcast of course it's not resident evil good but it is very 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 close to yeah that's fair. It's you know, that's a difficult one. Can I can I just like uh, ask the floor? Like I, I apologize, this is a bit odd, but where where would you rate the shall we quote quote unquote? I, I, I don't know how to say this other than that, the menacing horror tracks. Where would you stack them against their contemporaries in the series? Because I feel like they're a bit like they're either hauntingly humming melodies, or I don't know something about the the banging dentist drills and constant beat of the drum in the first game it still hits harder for me. Like, yeah, I, I think that's very true. I think, I, th- I, th- you know, it's really interesting. The the best the best way I've got to describe it is the rawness of the tracks in Silent in the first Silent Hill game always put you on absolute edge, mm. always make you feel deeply, deeply uncomfortable in any situation because they are just these very discordant slabs of sound that just terrify you because you don't ever feel comfortable listening to them. And I think that's certainly present in Silent Hill 2, but what Silent Hill 2 has a much more delicate understanding of when when you need those moments versus when there's moments where you can actually use something more traditional to kind of make players feel a bit more at home, even though there's something quite disturbing happening on the screen or it just wants to give you some degree of break. One of the biggest things that happens with any, te- any sort of tension moment, if you remember me talking about that kind of, oh, I'm holding my breath while I go through this thing, you have to have dips... Uh, yeah, you have to have peaks and troughs whenever you have anything. Otherwise, if you're just deep down terrified the entire time, there's just nowhere else to go after a very short period of time. It's just too grating on you. It's too much erosion. You just can't sustain it anymore. Mm-hmm. And the soundtrack is one of those ways that it kind of um, has a better understanding, I think, of kind of giving you more sense of sanity while you're experiencing this thing. Mm. Yeah. If, that answers I, question, if that answers the question in a very roundabout way. Yeah, I uh, I think while I do prefer the tones of the the horror music in in the first one, I think two places them better in in terms of what mm. they use it. Mm. it also, As you said, it's, it's, there's more maturity in in um, in Silent Hill too because the team knew what they were doing with. Yeah, better. exactly. It's also a use of no music at times as well, as to know when to pull back completely and just leave it blank. And as Sherwin said earlier, it's the, the the fears, the horror, almost sort of, and the bleakness don't let up. But if they do at all at any point, it's via the music. I think oh. that is the bit that tells you you can almost sort of like let your shoulders settle a little bit. Um, but otherwise, yeah, that that that's fair. Uh, all right, so it seems funny to end sort of on the last point, gameplay, but that is kind of the way that it's gone. Um, somewhat, I guess it's somewhat more appropriate. I think that. 
in terms of all of its strengths, uh, gameplay is probably the least strong for me personally. But that being said, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, it feels like a logical continuation of Silent Hill 1. It feels, from my own memory, pretty close to the same other than some quality of life stuff. Um, at this point in time, the controls can be a little bit tricky. I feel like they probably always were a little bit disorientating. Um, maybe hasn't aged spectacularly well. The camera can get a bit frustrating for me. But otherwise, not too much of an issue. Um, the the atmosphere and the story and stuff like that are so intoxicating that I absolutely have no problem playing this personally. But, you know, people who are adverse to tank controls might have more of an issue. Uh, Steve, how do you feel about overall the gameplay and the controls, etc.? Control-wise, it's very traditional. I think uh, if you haven't played a tank-based, you know, tank-control-based horror game, this is like one you could go to, and this would be like a good primer for every other one. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he's, he's got a backstab. I think he fundamentally is the same in terms of maneuverability as Harry was. Like he's I think got so. a strafe, he's got a backstep, he's got a quick turn, but most of it you're not going to bloody use anyway. You just turn manually and run. Mm -hmm. uh, the combat is kind of middling as it was in the first game. I, I, I feel like it. You could almost take it out and turn it into a walking simulator, and it wouldn't really hurt too much. Mm. And that's probably a harsh criticism. But but this game has, you know, even has like five difficulty settings for your puzzles, so you can still get a mileage out of there. It's not like the witness, yeah, but yeah. it will get pretty rough on the hard setting. Um, you know, it's very abstract, much like I don't think there's many Resident Evil style find thing shoving slot puzzles, is there? Feels like I've, I've just played it again. My brain's like fading, fading in and out. A lot not of it comes down to generally not like single items. No, no, it's um, you know riddles to solve where you place things or mm -hmm. dial certain things left and right. And I think my favourite puzzle is still the um, plays into the survival horror elements, and it is the elevator. It's not even really that much puzzle. It's like right, in order to get this elevator to work, you have to hand over everything and go into the unknown. And that's uh, yeah, that says something. Otherwise, it's. By the numbers, really. Like I said, the combat's eh. The boss fights are you could stand there and shoot or just run, stop, shoot. Like RE1 and RE2, I suppose. Mm. So not quite as visually bombastic as, say, a Tyrant or a G-Mutant. Instead, it's like a suspended cage. Right. I am... Um, yeah, so the combat in this, it's good that you touched on it exactly. What I wanted to say is it's not really fun. It's not really fun in Silent Hill 1. Do you know what? I can almost make a case for it in Silent Hill 2. I think, <laughs> I think that feeds into the themes even more. Because, you know, what James has done and sort of what he's going to learn about himself and his history, it's not fun to kill these monsters. I don't think it's meant to be fun to kill these monsters. They're just in the way between you and your answers. It's necessary for survival, which arguably is why James did what he did in the first place. That is like total problem, you know, like hokey. But if you wanted to have a reason why the, the, the controls in the combat are stunted and there isn't much to it and it doesn't really feel that good to kill things, maybe with the exception if you can score a great hit with the pyramid head knife. Um, <laughs> <laughs> can you even swing it rarely in time? Jeez. I there was I had a couple you... of cool moments, I'll tell you that much. I, I mean... You know, uh... I, this is why I got the in-water ending after all, because I spent most of the game on red health. But <laughs> um, Showing, any any case for the combat and the controls at large? 
I will just quickly before I get into that, I will touch on I think the puzzles in Silent Hill 2 are exceptional uh, because mm-hmm. they are kind of covered by gameplay. I think a lot of them are really, really cool, uh, really smart, and I think they do very insensible things. I mean, they're they don't break the fourth wall. They're not break the fourth wall good, but a lot of them are very, very good. Um, that said, uh, if we are talking about gameplay, this is the one place where I, I just can't give, in any good sense of good conscience, give Silent Hill 2 any really positive notes. It, mm. It's serviceable, is what I would say. And that's fine. It's it's not something where the game isn't about combat. It's, let, let, let us, you know, it's not kind of... It's not a game which is built around kind of precise inputs or combos or building, you know, kind of this, you know, where you're demonstrating your skill through playing it in this way. It's, yeah, this is a gauntlet that you're running through. A t- psychological gauntlet is the mm-hmm. best way to describe this game. And that doesn't require you to have that. And I can 100% see where you're coming from in the sense that, you know, the difficulty you have in killing stuff kind of works um, in sort of adding to that. But truthfully, having played it originally the first time around, it felt clunky and not terribly good then. Right. Um, you know, in terms of aiming, doesn't feel you know doesn't feel satisfying and you know, difficult to pull off sometimes. Like you know, the way you move doesn't really feel you know just feel sluggish and not mm-hmm. terribly responsive. Um, the boss fights, the tactic is always just run to the opposite side of the room, shoot it a bunch of times. As it gets close, do the same, repeat until the thing is dead. There's it's just there's no terribly deep thinking going into the gameplay that kind of makes me want to. That's not anything. I'd actually go as far as saying the reason why I'd want to play this game is definitely not gameplay. If anything, I want to play this game in spite of the gameplay. Yeah, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, and, and that's fine. Again, it's not supposed to be a game that's built around that. It's not supposed to be about delicate inputs. It's not Resident Evil where it's about lining up your perfect run through the zombie arm strategy and not get hit once kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not really built around that sort of thing. This is a game which is really about just experiencing it as a storytelling thing as much as anything um so yeah that's that's the honest answer i mean if anything actually weird way it kind of occurs to me if you were to make a more narrative mode for silent hill now i wonder how much it would be something where you can actually play this game as you'd have a mode where enemies don't actually attack you they just stand there and scare the crap out of you as you come (laughs) near them um, and then you basically just do that stuff. Like, yeah, you mm. can handle boss fights with a cutscene and still be quite disturbing. Um, yeah. I will say, it suddenly occurred to me, something you were saying earlier about jump scares just suddenly comes back to me. There is one in the game, which is where um, one of the guys in straitjackets scuttles out from underneath a car. Um, I remember that. It's right at the start of the game. You kind of are running along. Uh, you run near one of the vehicles. I think it's a white one, if memory serves. And, uh, mm-hmm. and a creature just literally scuttles out from underneath the car. I remember literally jumping out of my chair uh, when that happened <laughs> way back when. But, um, That's but yeah, I, but yeah, I will say it's it, it's not a letdown because it, it, the game doesn't rely on this stuff, but it's not a strength in any way, shape, mm-hmm. or form. I think it's funny because if that being the case with the jump scare, that's the... That's its one then, because Silent Hill One, I right. think, has basically one as well. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah it is. I can imagine that upon release, it was as clunky as it is today. To be fair, I, you know, I would like to think as myself as one of those people that can sort of see where the game was released and and look past any issues that come with age necessarily. But if you played this and then played for it, like like you said, Resident Evil Three Nemesis came out two years beforehand, and that is. A fun gameplay experience so yeah i can imagine even at the time it was a little bit like but yeah the, the that's not the focus and i suppose 
if anything, it says the strength of everything else uh, to keep you invested in the game over what is serviceable has been the word, you know, average, decent, solid gameplay at best. Uh, yeah, that's fair. There's a time, possibly, if I can jump in, and and this to me is... This, this is why it comes back to the discussion about, you know, do you fight Mary, do you fight Maria at the end? Mm. And the various different endings. This is definitely of the era where you had embosses of you had bosses in things because that's what video games had. Mm. And they are bookmarks to that experience. But at the same time, if ever there is a game that feels like bosses just aren't really a thing that you really need, this is it. And yeah. and almost to the point where seeing seeing the Mary slash Maria um end boss Apologies for spoilers if anyone hasn't played it. <laughs> um, kind of happen. Now, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly, right? Uh, seeing that happen and, and kind of um, effectively be exactly the same boss and have very similar dialogue in a lot in a couple of cases almost feels like it's just something where, you know, you wonder how much of that is. Do we actually want to put that particular confrontation in as part of what this story and this ending and how this direction of this is going? Mm. Or is that what has to be here because we need to introduce this boss somehow? Mm. And yeah, and that, that's that's I guess my thought on that one. Yeah, that's a fair point. Definitely, I could. It's interesting to imagine a Silent Hill two with some changes like that that you mentioned, or almost almost like a narrative mode. My brain immediately goes to: Wouldn't it be interesting if they made sort of like a Telltale's version, where it is more just about dialogue uh, exploration a little bit? And stuff just do like shattered that. memories, don't you? Do shattered memories. I with guess James. that's true. Yeah. And then maybe just have Pyramid Head as the one because if you don't put Pyramid Head in, people would riot, wouldn't they? Right, for sure. Yeah. You know, just run from him. Just don't fight him. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. would be quite interesting, actually. I've not played Shattered Memories. I'm aware of it, so it would be quite interesting to see that because I know that it's different in that way. Yeah, there's no combat sequences. It's just running away. Um, What's really interesting is there's a lot that had a lot of negative feedback from the community, mm. although. Again, how much of that is just very vocal, a very vocal minority who don't understand it versus other people who played it and really liked it for the exact same reason? Mm. I think it might almost fall into one of those games that is respected more now as time has passed. Perhaps Shattered Memories. I do see people you know, shouting it out here and there. So who knows? Maybe we'll get there. There's a lot of Silent Hill games to cover, but it looks like it's, this is almost like becoming its own side series at this point. Um, so let's sum up Silent Hill 2 as best we can. Uh, Sherwin, why don't you start with you? What's your sort of final verdict on Silent Hill 2? Silent Hill 2 is a genre-defining, um, wonderfully harrowing, terrifying, thought-provoking, and um, articulate entry into the series which basically if you're a fan of survival horror games you absolutely have to under no circumstances mm. yeah you sorry under all circumstances should you play this game under no circumstances should you miss playing this game it's it's absolutely brilliant in so many different ways even its weakest element is because it just doesn't matter simply put right. you know it's 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 gameplay in terms of the actual way your character moves around and what you do just simply aren't important in the grand scheme of experience in this thing. It's a really, really, really strong game. It is terrifying. And if you're a weak of heart, do not play this game. <laughs> I just said that because it's it will disturb you a very large amount. And it paves the way for the best game in the series, which is Silent Hill Rambo. So <laughs> that's 
<laughs> Silent, Hill, Silent Hill 4 is by far and away the best game in the oh, series. Excellent. As I said, and I've only played 1, 2, and 3, so I'm excited to get there. We absolutely should cover that. Uh, side, so, yeah, spoiler side, you may not agree with me. A lot of people don't. <laughs> oh, I know it's a contentious one, but I have to find out. I have to find out. Um, does, so then, that being said, uh, so 4 is your favourite. It's not. I was going to ask, is it? Is not 2, is it? Because often cited as the best game in the series. Okay. Um, and Steve, uh, I, I, I would say, I would actually, weirdly, I would probably put this third. As much as I've just said that, oh, interesting. I would put, I, I would go Silent Hill four, Silent Hill one, Silent mm. Hill two. Interesting, uh, Steve. I know your favourite is Silent Hill three, but where does Silent Hill two rank for you? Solid second place. Mm. Well, if not, if not second, it's third. It, it, it's what places with Silent Hill one. Yeah, it's fair. Often mentally, I generally think this game is a, a landmark piece, though. Even if it is not necessarily my bag most of the time, I can recognise it's like, you know, it's legacy. It's it's almost art house, art piece potential. Yeah, you know, there's a reason why every horror indie developer seems to at some point have played or is very inspired by Silent Hill 2, it seems, because that, that whole personal struggle motif and the fact that you are the real villain and the general thrust of the narrative is a very well-trodden path at this point. But the game that did it first and probably did it arguably the best is still this one. Yeah. I I have no real nostalgia for it, which is strange, I think, for such a landmark title. I've always been basically... If you were to put me in a room with Aliens or The Shining, I'm going to go with The Aliens that is Resident Evil 2 to you know, Silent Hill 2's Shining. Mm-hmm. That doesn't diminish the fact that this is a fantastic game. And if you have not played it, you should definitely give it a go. Gameplay is middling. Narrative is very strong. And the aesthetic alone is, you know, mm, to die for. <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, when I... <laughs> so when I turned 30, I did this little thing online where I just ranked my uh, 30 favorite games of all time and i think silent hill 2 might have hit like 18 or 16 and that is purely because i think pretty much every game beyond that point was something which was just a lot of fun to play and you could just pick it up and play it endlessly or every now and then just play a couple of games on smash or start a new pokemon playthrough happily or sonic 2 plays through it in 45 minutes or whatever they were just like really easy fun games um, Silent Hill 2 is fun in its own weird way but it is not like anything else and that's probably why it didn't necessarily get any higher I always look at that list and I think it, it absolutely deserves to be so much higher but it's not a game that I would pick up constantly um, I will happily play this every few years, every half a decade I can absolutely see myself uh, dragging the PS3 out of storage every few years to unlock another ending achievement or something um i yeah like you no nostalgia for it played it in my mid to late 20s uh had a massive effect on me like i said like no game had ever done before and i know i'm prone to a little bit of hyperbole so here it comes i think if you take every copy of every video game off my shelf and say you can't have this it's silly it's needless it's a stupid child's hobby you can't take silent hill 2 away this is the case for video games as art. Like, aesthetically, tonally, the story, it's 
it, it absolutely 100% stands among all the, the greats of video games as art, uh, let alone just being a great horror game. I think it's absolutely superb. As Sherwin said, you owe it to yourself to play this game if you're a horror game uh, fan. It's such a shame that it doesn't seem to... It gets the praise, but it, it's Konami. So I guess I don't know when we'll ever see this again, if we're going to get a ports to future systems. I'm just slightly worried that this is going to be it and it's going to sort of fade, which is so weird to say about such a defining game. Um, so hopefully listeners out there who may have <laughs> spoiled the entire game by listening to this who have not yet played it, um, but do seek out a way to do so. So... Nothing else remains for me but to thank our contributors and our Patreons once again. Support the show for as little as $1 a month to help us create more bonus content like this one over at patreon.com forward slash Pod. You can also join the Discord server to get in touch with members of the team and our community, discuss Resident Evil with us and other fans, and listen to the podcast live as it's being recorded. You can find a link to the server, as well as our Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, Instagram, YouTube, and more over at fasprayPod.com. In our next bonus episode, we dip into somebody's pile of shame to experience the 2010 David Cage interactive drama, Heavy Rain. You can find the podcast on YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify and iTunes. And if you enjoyed the show, please do leave us a review where you can. It helps spread the word. Thank you to the panel. You can follow all the Pueblo people individually. I'm at Sinaiac underscore one, two, three. Steve is at FB Steve was taken. Sherwin is at Sherwin's Agenda. And finally, thank you for listening and have a good week. Silent Hill 2 is literally the grindcore album you heard in your teenage years that you thought was incredibly influential and changed the way you looked at music. But now you got old, you just want to listen to the Black Album because <laughs> <laughs> it's just too—it's cha- just too challenging. That's right. It's just it. where you just sit there and go, "You like? I can't listen to Cropuff my entire life. It just hurts <laughs> my ears. I just can't deal with Cryptopsy or Death or whatever your poison is." You heard it back in the day. Like, That's a f-ing amazing. I listened to that forever. Now you're like, no, I just want to put on something with some melody. And all, everyone told you that your music chase, taste would change, and you were like, no way, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Keeping it real. As soon as everyone leaves the room, you're like, yeah, and do not. You're just drumming your feet along to win the sand, man. Yeah, exactly. All right.